Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of GTI Insights, the Global Taiwan Institute's policy podcast. My name is Marshall Reed, and I'm a program manager here with GTI. And I'm Melin Oliver, an intern at GTI. And today we're really thrilled to be joined by Dr. Satoru Nagao, a non-resident fellow at the Hudson Institute based in Tokyo. In addition to all his work at Hudson, he holds a variety of other positions, including director at the International Security Industry Council, senior research fellow at the Japan Forum for Strategic Studies, and research fellow at the Security and Strategy Research Institute for Japan. Through his research, he explores a, a wide range of topics related to foreign and defense policy, with particular emphasis on Japan, India, and the broader Indo-Pacific. He's written several books on international relations and has spoken and published around the world. Dr. Nagao, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Well, Dr. Nagao, I'm so glad you could join us at what's proving to be a really interesting time for Japan and its approach to security, particularly as it pertains to the Taiwan Strait. For decades, Japan has maintained a, a relatively ambiguous position on Taiwan, seeking to maintain a, a sometimes difficult balance between the People's Republic of China and the United States. However, this has really begun to shift noticeably in recent years. Beginning during the administration of the late Prime Minister Shinzo Abe and continuing under successors, Japan has really shown an increased willingness to prioritize, quote, peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. Reflecting these concerns, Japan has also demonstrated a, a really reinvigorated interest in expanding and modernizing its armed forces, potentially signaling the start of what could be a new era of Japanese involvement in Indo-Pacific security. So with this in mind, we're really excited to have you here to share your considerable expertise. So, Dr. Nagao, I want to start at a really high level and hear a bit about Tokyo's overall approach to, to Taiwan and how it's changed in recent years. So if you had to give us kind of in a nutshell, a, a high level overview of what Tokyo thinks about Taiwan and how it's evaluating its approach, how would you do that? Yeah, uh, there are the both changing part and the consistent part. Uh, about the consistent part, uh, very simple. Japan wants a status quo. Japan wants to maintain the status quo. And uh, Taiwan is an independent country already, we think. So that's why Japan wants uh, peace and uh, maintaining the status quo. Uh, such, uh, such kind of ideas that Japan is uh, sharing. But at the same time, the changing part is more important. And Japan decided to take more responsibility to defend Taiwan. So Japan will not accept China's Taiwan, China's occupation on Taiwan. Great, thanks. So recently, Japan has demonstrated far greater interest in improving its military capabilities, with Prime Minister Kishida calling for a considerable increase in military spending over the next five years. What factors have influenced this shift in thinking? And what substantive changes could you see resulting from this? Okay, exactly the 56% Japan will increase their defense budget next five years. That's true. But uh, this uh, 56 uh, increase, 6% increase of the Japan's defense budget is uh, based on the Japan's new national security strategy published in December 2022. So this document clearly mentioned which country are threat, challenge for the Japan's interest. First, China, second, North Korea, and third, Russia. Especially, China is the matter because written on the top of the, this list. China's territory expansion has uh, one pattern. That's why uh, uh, Japan tried to increase the defense budget. So I need to explain about the pattern. 
So what kind of patterns? In this uh, uh, good example is uh, what happened in South China Sea. When China find the power vacuum, they try to take it. For example, uh, in 1950s, when France withdraw from Vietnam or Cambodia, this is Indochina Peninsula, uh, China took the half of the Paracel Island in the South China Sea. Uh, in 1970s, when U.S. withdraw from Vietnam, the China take, took the, another half of the Paracel Island. In 1980s, when the Soviet troops reduced the number in Vietnam, China took the Spratly Island. And in 1990s, when the U.S. troops withdraw from Philippines, China took the Mystery Fifth. So military balance has, has, military balance has changed, and they find the power vacuum. That is the timing China try to steal the territories. That is a pattern. So to deal with this, what is the proper answer? Maintaining military balance is the answer. That's why Japan tried to increase defense budget, uh, 56% in the next five years. That is uh, maybe Japan's answer. But at the same time, this uh, 56% is enough. Uh, that is the controversial because uh, According to the CIPRI, CIPRI is a think tank in Sweden. According to their database, China increased their military expenditure 72% uh, between the 2012 to 2021, so one decade. And uh, during the same period, the U.S. decreased 6.1%. Under such kind of the situation, if Japan increased uh, their defense budget 56%, this is not enough. So... That's why uh, uh, not only the increase the defense budget, but also the another method is needed. In this case, this situation is related with why Japan is seeking the Quad Indo-Pacific or a cooperation with many countries of the U.S. side. That is one of the uh, answer to deal with uh, to fill the gap. I think so. For example, the, if the Japan cooperate with India, what will happen? China need to share more military resources against India. And China cannot concentrate their military resources against Japan, Taiwan, or these uh, Pacific side countries. So international cooperation makes China to face multiple fronts. That's why uh, this is a new method, to maintain military balance. How to divest China's defense budget is one of the methods, if we do not have the enough money. So especially, uh, under the new uh, security uh, strategy, Japan will possess the counter-strike capability. Why strike capability is matter? Because we can imagine, in this uh, international cooperation, if the, both uh, Japan, United States, Australia, India, all possess the strike capability, what will happen? China cannot ignore any strike capability at the same time. So in this case, if China want to want to concentrate their military expenditure, military resources against Taiwan, in this case, China need to care about the backside because India possesses strike capability. So vice versa, if China try to try to invade India, in this case, China need to worry about the backside. If there is a strike capability, that's why the strike capability is very important. If this strike capability combined with the cooperation with many countries, Quad countries or Indo-Pacific countries. So that is Japan's new security policy. That is the reason Japan increased the defense uh, budget uh, and uh, to possess the strike capability. That is my answer. 
Well, I mean, it has really been fascinating watching Japan kind of react to this changing military balance, as you said. Definitely later in the conversation, I want to delve a little bit deeper into, like you said, this this kind of multilateral approach, working with other partners in the region. But first, I want to talk a little bit about kind of the bilateral relationship between Japan and Taiwan. You know, speaking in 2021, the late Prime Minister Abe argued that a, quote, Taiwanese emergency is a Japanese emergency. Could you elaborate a bit on what he meant by this quote? And perhaps more importantly, is this a sentiment shared by other members of the Japanese government, particularly in the, the current ruling government? It is obvious because uh, geographical situation demands such kind of well, simply fact. Taiwan's emergency is a Japanese emergency because uh, if China attack Taiwan, and if if Japan will not will not allow the United States uh, to use their territory to support Taiwan, what will happen? Taiwan will fall. So Taiwan's fate rely on the supply line, which lie in the Japan's territorial area. So that's why Japan cannot escape from this responsibility. Thanks to Japan, the Taiwan has fallen. Thank you very much. If, if the United, so United States cannot say so. Before the Taiwan has fallen, the United States will ask Japan to cooperate. Japan cannot escape this responsibility. But the view from this, uh, China knows such kind of situation, and in this case, if Japan supports Taiwan, there is a possibility that China tries to cut this supply line by attacking Japan. That's why Japan cannot escape this conflict. It is obvious, view uh, from the map, view from the geographical situation. So that's why Prime Minister Abe was right. Taiwan's emergency is a Japanese emergency. Well, that's great. I mean, it's definitely seemed like things have gotten more urgent in recent years. You know, just since Abe said those words, we've had the, the Nancy Pelosi visit to Taiwan and the subsequent military drills. We've seen the recent military drills following President Tsai's visit to the United States. So I'd be curious to hear, you know, in the time since Abe said those words, have these drills, have China's more aggressive actions toward Taiwan changed the way that Japan has seen the, the Taiwan Strait? Is it influence Japan's calculus? I think so, because if, if someone try to make pressure to others, uh, they need to make pressure enough. But China's pressure is not enough always. That's why the reverse effect has happened in many cases. For example, in 1990s, uh, when the Taiwan uh, had a presidential election, that time, China conducted missile drill, and it looks like these missiles, missile drill is showing the capability of China to blockade Taiwan. But what happened? In this case, of course, China tried to intimidate Taiwanese people, but this pressure is not enough. So Taiwanese people decide to support the leader China do not want to. Uh, be the president of Taiwan. So when when the pressure is not enough, the reverse effect will come. Now the China uh, when uh, Congress Speaker Nancy Pelosi visit Taiwan, China conducted uh, very big uh, military exercises in this area, and uh, one of the missile doreo is uh, overlapped the area of the Japan's EEZ, and uh, China runs a missile. And uh, this missile landed the uh, sea around the uh, Yonaguni Island, which is the EZ of Japan. 
So China try to try to make the pressure to Japan. Do not support Taiwan is a message. But uh, this such kind of the pressure is not enough. So reverse effect is coming to Japan. And the Japanese are a little upset uh, just, uh, such kind of China's attitude. And the Japanese decide to support Taiwan more. Uh, Taiwan is very popular in Japan, simply said. So next, I'd like to turn to another key actor in this discussion. Over the past several years, the United States has repeatedly signaled that it would intervene in the event of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan, with President Biden making statements to this effect on four occasions. How were these comments received in Japan? And how do you think Japan could cooperate with the U.S. to deter or repel a Chinese attack? U.S. and Japan's cooperation is very solid and uh, has a long history and trust each other now. So that's why uh, when U.S. decide to show the strong stance, indeed, uh, in Japan, uh, this U.S. leader is relatively popular. But at the same time, because uh, Japan was the enemy of the United States in the past, in the four years, but uh, that time, Japan has a tragic history. So that's why we confidence to say U.S. will win against China. Because when we see the U.S. history, more than 250 years history, U.S. has not allowed any rivals to survive, such as Japan, Germany, the Soviet Union, etc., etc. So this means that U.S. is very serious when the U.S. starts to say most serious competitor. And this USA, the China, the most serious competitor. In this case, view from Japan, ah, time has come, something like that. So Taiwan is located in front of the core area of China. So view from the practical meaning, Taiwan is also important. The core area is the coastal cities. For China want to defend these coastal cities. So the Taiwan is located in front of this. If the United States uh, decide to fight, decide to compete with China. In this case, Taiwan is very precious card. Taiwan is very precious place. Will U.S. abandon Taiwan? We, we do not think so. That's why once United start to say uh, that China is most serious competitor and the U.S. will support Taiwan, which side Japan should choose? It is very clear. Japan will support Taiwan with the United States, and Japan want to be the winner with the United States and Taiwan. That is our mindset based on our historical experience. So our stance is very clear. And so in the clear stance of the United States is welcome. Great. I would love if we could also expand on the larger context of Indo-Pacific security as well. You've written extensively about the growing role of the quadrilateral security dialogue, so that's Japan, the U.S., India, and Australia, and the security architecture of the Indo-Pacific. Are there ways that the Quad could help to maintain stability in the Taiwan Strait? Uh, when we talk about Quad, or well, Indo-Pacific, which country is uh, most important? India. So without India, we do not need a new concept. U.S., Japan, Australia, cooperation do not need a new concept. Asia Pacific is enough if we do not include in, uh, India. So when we talk about uh, Quad cooperation, so what kind of role India has is the matter. Uh, but, uh, but we cannot imagine India will send aircraft carrier to uh, and defend Taiwan. Such kind of things will not happen, we think. But even if under such kind of situation, India's role to defend Taiwan is very important. 
there are three reasons. Firstly, military reasons. China needs to share the more uh, military resources against the India-China border. China cannot concentrate all of the military resources against uh, Taiwan. So China needs to divide their military resources. That's why the India's uh, role, military role, is important, even if the India stays in the India-China border. And the secondary, economic role is very important. Uh, when China decides to invade Taiwan or attack Taiwan, of course China needs to expect what kind of uh, reaction came from the countries. But uh, under current situation, this country, uh, top trading partner is China, and they rely on the Chinese market. Under such kind of situation, China mistake to understand, ah, this country who rely on China will not support Taiwan, will not resist China. This is uh, dangerous. That's why countries uh, who, uh, which support Taiwan need alternative market which do not rely on Chinese market. Supply chain is also, and technology also. Uh, we do, uh, this country uh, do, uh, should not rely on China. So in this case, uh, we need to find alternative market. India has enough size. So if India uh, uh, trade with the US, Australia, Japan, this country uh, can choose a more strong stance uh, toward China when the China invade Taiwan uh, easily. So that's why the China expects uh, this country will show the very strong stance and they will support Taiwan. So our invasion, maybe can we win or something like that? Such kind of questions they would uh, expect. That's why the, such kind of the, India's economy is an important role to deter China's uh, aggression uh, toward Taiwan. And indeed, the diplomatic role is also exists. Uh, India's diplomacy toward Taiwan has changed. In uh, 1990s, India started uh, start, uh, nearly the uh, formal diplomatic relation with Taiwan. And uh, since uh, 2008, it, 2008 was the last time uh, India's public document mentioned about one China policy. And uh, in 1940, uh, 2040, sorry, 2040, uh, the Modi government won in. And they, the, uh, but that time, the foreign minister of the Suwaraji mentioned, if uh, China, China asked India to respect uh, one China policy, China uh, must re uh, should respect one India policy, uh, which means that uh, in the India-China border, the China accepts uh, this uh, uh, India's claim. So in Modi's, Modi's government policy is relatively uh, strong against China and leap from the China's one China policy. And 2020 was the first time uh, Modi government sent the delegation uh, for the inaugural ceremony of the uh, second time the government. So, um, Galwan Valley incident, uh, which uh, Indian soldier sacrifice uh, was uh, happened one month after that. But anyway, India's uh, uh, India diplomacy toward Taiwan has changed, and India tried to rise the international status of Taiwan uh, uh, last 20 years. So if uh, Taiwan's uh, international status uh, as, uh, to become a sovereign country, if China invade Taiwan, it looks like this is the invasion against a sovereign country. So strong reaction uh, will come to China. Uh, this is a violation of the international law. So under such kind of situation, China uh, cannot easy to invade Taiwan. So that's why the rising the international status of the Taiwan is deterring China's uh, attack toward Taiwan. So uh, the India's policy is uh, 
relatively contributing such kind of situation. That's why militarily, economically, uh, and uh, diplomatically, India show India has a role to deter the China's uh, invasion to Taiwan, even if India will not join uh, the military force to defend Taiwan uh, when the China invades Taiwan. So that is, so that's why Quad Corporation, Indo-Pacific Corporation, try to include India is meaningful to uh, defend Taiwan. That's great, and I really appreciate you being so thorough about it and bringing India into this conversation. They really are kind of a factor that's overlooked, I think, a lot in in talking about the Indo-Pacific and talking specifically about East Asia and the Taiwan Strait. Two follow-up questions to that. You know, first and foremost. You know, India in the past obviously has been well known for taking a very non-interventionist approach to foreign policy and trying to maintain sort of a, a healthy neutrality, particularly when the world has been divided into sort of ideological blocks. I'd be curious to hear, you know, is this something that's changing in India? Is there is there more interest in becoming involved in, you know, aligning Delhi with Washington, with other Western powers? Or is this just sort of more of the same in India trying to sort of maintain that balance? And two, you talk about the Quad, and I think in the past there's been talk that the Quad has been more symbolic than substantive. I'd be curious to hear, do you think that's changing over time because countries like India and Japan are becoming more invested in it? In this case, firstly, we should not think India is a country to move very fast. India's size is, looks like elephant, and their move is very slow. And India is a democratic country, they talk much, and uh, but the uh, decision is not easy. But uh, when we check India's history, even if India say this was a non-alignment, so since 1971, India was a formal ally of the Soviet Union. The, uh, when uh, we check the contents of the, the treaty, yes, this is alliance. So that's why I doubt India's non-alignment policy. But at the same time, India's size is big. India is great power. India will decide their policy themselves. That is true. And uh, because of the experience of the colonial age, uh, India uh, has, um, India desire very strongly as an independent country. That's why on surface, India will maintain. They decide everything themselves, not followed as a country. But we do not need to create formal treaty-based alliance with India. Because, for example, is there an alliance of the major country uh, after the World War II? Yes, some cases in the world uh, that will happen. Uh, recently, the Finland joined NATO is one of the alliances, that's true. But at the same time, in many countries, indeed, the formal treaty-based alliance is a system in the past. So NATO is survived, or US-Japan alliance survived, but it has concluded just after the World War II, and after that, they continue. So alliance system is it, itself. Uh, hasn't happened in many areas in the world, even if the India will not join the formal treaty-based alliance. It looks like this is common in the world now. Instead of the formal treaty-based alliance, this uh, current age is the age of the coalition of willing. So more business-like situation could contribute security against China. For example, if the Quad country cooperate with India and China need to divide their military resources in multi-direction, 
even if the India is not a trade-based ally, there is no problem for the Japan, for Australia, for United States. The cooperation with India、uh, work well. And、uh, because of the land border, India do not wish to clutch、uh, is a military alliance because、uh, there is a possibility China will attack India first because other countries do not share the land border, but India shares the border with China. And India is the、uh, most weakest link because of no、uh, treaty base ally. So that's why the,、uh, there is a possibility that China will choose India,、uh, China will choose to attack India、uh, as a first target. Uh, and provoke India and、uh, send a message to India. Other three countries、uh, will not support you,、uh, but if you cooperate with other three countries, I can attack you. Is this beneficial for India? India should stop to cooperate with other countries. So there is a possibility India China border will be the target for India. So that's why India do not want to say this is a military alliance. But at the same time, the bilaterally, they cooperate militarily. Just currently, US India air exercises happen in India, and the United States send a B1 bomber to India. Who are B1 bomber? B1 bomber is a conventional law,、uh, bomb, strategic bomber, so not a nuclear one. But this Tomahawk attack, the pinpoint of the Tibet area, is a threat for China、uh, because the China,、uh, Tibet area is a mountainous region and their supply line is connected by tunnels, bridges. So Tomahawk can attack one by one and China cannot invade India. So that's why, indeed, US,、uh, India, bilateral military cooperation has progressed much. And the last three months, January, February,、uh, March, Indian Air Force and Army come to Japan and、uh, conducted joint exercises. So, indeed, India sent fighter jet to Australia and conducted uh, uh, multinational、uh, fighter jet exercises in the past. So, indeed, bilateral base, when we check, quad cooperation is not symbolic. It has really moving. So, not only the maritime cooperation, the land base、uh, or air base、uh, cooperation is、uh, already progressed. So, that's why, even if the India is not totally based right, Kuwait is really moving as a military、uh, cooperation. I think it's really interesting. You've painted a picture of the Indo Pacific and you know, East Asia region as. Really, being one kind of in the midst of a change. You know, there's a, a changing balance of power, changing interests. You know, China is really working to alter the status quo, and Japan and other partners are reacting accordingly. Just looking forward a little bit, I know it's, I'm asking you to predict a bit. What do you see from Japan going forward in terms of how it's going to approach security in the Indo Pacific and specifically in the Taiwan Strait? You know, do you see More collaboration between Japan and Taiwan on security matters? Do you see increased Japan sort of proactivity in terms of constructing more forces, in training, in multilateral defense exercises? Just what, what do you see going forward? Government level and the common people level is a little different. But before the Russia's aggression to Ukraine started,、uh, most common people hesitate to intervene. Uh, the military issue. And because、uh, their education is a pacifist base, and pacifist base means from kindergarten to the university, if,、uh, they do not need to hear any security issue and they can graduate and enter the society. So, under such situations,、uh, uh, military issue is completely new 
only experts can talk about military. But since Russia's aggression to Ukraine has happened, people, start, uh, people uh, can watch the news related to war every day, and uh, their mindset has changed. And uh, we, we can compare with what happened in Afghanistan and what happened in the Ukraine. The Afghanistan, Afghanistan army disappeared and easy to, uh, Taliban got the victory very easily. But in the Ukraine, because Ukraine people resist very strongly, that's why Ukraine maintains their uh, uh, independence. So view from this, if the people has a strong will, they can do that. Such kind of mood is exist. So now, uh, uh, of course, uh, Taiwan is not part of Japan. So that's why the, still the, in the common people hesitate uh, to join the war uh, in Taiwan. But uh, government rebel, they, they have already identified Taiwan emergency is Japan's emergency. So that's why Japan closely cooperate with the U.S. Uh, plan the maybe strategy to deal with uh, China's aggression or they try to equip the same weapon with the United States and they are preparing the, how to evacuate the people and how to supply uh, material to Taiwan or so as a full strategy and they start to cooperate with the Philippines too. So under such a situation, government level, they are closely coordinated. So Japan will, will take more responsibility to defend Taiwan under the U.S. lead uh, strategy in this region. So it is obvious. And the mood in Japan, even if the common people hesitate to join the war itself or fighting itself because uh, their education is pacifist based and they haven't touched any guns. But sympathy with Taiwan people has changed. For example, the, when China restricts import the Taiwanese pineapple, um, Taiwan asked Japan to help and the, the, many Japanese people uh, decide to buy the Taiwan's uh, pineapple. Why this has happened? Because many people have the sympathy with Taiwan. So that's why, view from this, even if the common people still hesitate to intervene in the situation in Taiwan, indeed, uh, if China invades Taiwan, Japan will support Taiwan. It is obvious. Not only the government level, but also the people's level. It is obvious, I believe. Great. Well, Dr. Nagao, thank you so much for, for giving so much context and providing a picture of a Japan that's really in an interesting moment of flux, really being forced to reevaluate the way it approaches security, the way it approaches militarism in general in response to Chinese aggression, Russia's aggression, and really is sort of a changing international system. So I think you've done a great job and we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. Uh, it is uh, honor for me. And thank you to all our listeners for joining us for another episode of GTI Insights. Many thanks also to the great staff and interns at GTI for all their help with every step of producing this podcast. If you're interested in learning more about GTI, be sure to check out our website at globaltaiwan.org, where you can find more information about our Global Taiwan Brief and our frequent public seminars. You can also listen to more episodes of GTI Insights on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Until next time, this has been GTI Insights.